Good morning. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church. We are so glad uh, you're here. What a privilege and joy it is to be able to gather on a beautiful Lord's Day. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to welcome you especially to, to our church. We want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. We have seen through the gospel in Jesus the glory of God. And we cannot unsee his glory. In Jesus, we see the grace and mercy of God to sinners like me and you. Uh, the fact that holy God would send his own son to die and be our savior. On the third day, rise from the dead and be living, the only living savior of the world today. And we've been captivated by him. We exist to spread our enjoyment of the beauty of Christ with our world. And so we hope today you see that beauty and that his beauty captivates your heart as well. So thank you for being here and welcome. I want to give a quick thank you to Larry Mullinax and Lynn Harrington. Uh, last Sunday, you'll remember it was raining or had been raining really hard, and we had some roof leaks, and there was a children's Sunday school class affected, and they got in there and cleaned that up before the kids and the teacher got here, and we appreciate them uh, and others like them who serve us behind the scenes, things Something I didn't even know about till this morning. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things like that that church members do. And we appreciate how you serve the body of Christ here. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. Several passages from Romans this, this morning. These verses will prepare our hearts and kind of lead us into where we'll be at the time of the message later on. In Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it amazing that while we were still sinners, we were enemies, we were God-haters, God intervened with those who weren't even looking for him, and sent his son to die in our place. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8 verse 1 tells us the result of Christ's sin atoning death on the cross and his resurrection. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will never again condemn those of us who trust in Jesus. We are forgiven. We are made declared righteous in fact. In his sight. Romans 8 says it so beautifully, verses 38 and 39. Paul says, For I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our. Lord. If you know Jesus today, are you sure? And if you don't know him today, we want you to be sure of these things. This is the love of God to us in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us how to respond to all this. If his grace is, 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 is what we've just talked about, if his, if his mercies have come to us in Christ, then how should we respond? Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, by the things that we just read from Romans 5 and 8, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, even some translations, your reasonable worship. It's all that makes sense. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about how to respond to the grace of God in Christ in our lives, how to steward our whole life for the glory of the one who gave his own son to die for us. And we've been talking about what it means to not be conformed to the world, but to live differently. And this morning, we're going to talk about some, some very specific areas of our lives in which we need to have our minds transformed by his word. And so we're going to ask God to help us with that this morning. But I'm so thankful to know the mercies of God and to be a child of God. John said, Beloved, we are children of God. What an amazing thing. What manner of love that we should be called the children of God. And yet our friends and neighbors have yet to know God as Father. Because they don't know the gospel. They've not heard the good news and are personally trusted the good news of Christ. The nations, there's so many who've yet to hear the good news of Jesus. This morning, I want us to pray for the French Jews in Belgium. 29,000 French Jews there in Belgium with only 0.1% believers. That's 29 of 29,000. Jews for Jesus has gone in and reached just a handful of believers there with the gospel. Um, but we want to continue to pray that the gospel would penetrate this group of Jews there in Belgium. Also, we want to pray for Ukraine and our nation. Uh, join me as uh, we pray together uh, for these, these things as well as for some, some personal needs that we have uh, among us this morning. Father, how we praise you for your great mercy. Thank you that you loved us when we hated you. We, you loved us when we were rebelling against you. You didn't wait for us to even... Think about you, but you sent your son 2,000 years ago to live a perfect life in our place and go to the cross and bear in his own body our sins. That the price for our sins, justice for our sins might be fully satisfied. And on the third day, you, you, he rose, you rose him from the dead. You raised him up, Lord. And that means today that sinners can be justified, declared righteous and your sight, because we have our righteousness in Christ. Lord, how we pray for our own neighbors, our friends, family members, co-workers, who have yet to trust Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help it to be true for us, that it wouldn't be because we have not told them about Christ, that we've not ex expressed the love of God to them in Jesus in words, in verbal testimony to them. So God, make us faithful. But Lord, how we pray for the nations, so many around the world who've yet to hear the good news of Jesus. Father, as no doubt is common the world over among the Jewish people, many of them have heard Jesus' name, but their entire lives they've been told he was just a false teacher, Whatever the case, they've never really heard the gospel. So we pray for this group of French Jews in Belgium that the few believers there would penetrate their people group with the truth. 
Lord, how we pray for our world today. We pray for the nation of Ukraine. We pray for our, our family there, the family of God there. We pray for churches all across the nation who are serving tirelessly and, and, and ministering and, and trying to help people uh, evacuate the country or dealing with medical uh, issues and, and injuries and uh, sheltering people, whatever the case, God, uh, strengthen our brothers and sisters there as they serve and in the middle of that bear witness to the gospel. Lord, we pray for um, those among us uh, here and, and close to us as a church family that need your healing hand. Lord, we lift up Sherry Newton today and her family. Thank you, Father, that Sherry is able to be at her son's home and how I pray that you would comfort that family, strengthen them, and give them um, just a sense of your presence in these uh, what appear to be Sherry's final days. Lord, we just pray so much for them. We pray for Vanna Clampett. Lord, we pray for healing for a torn retina. And uh, just pray that you would uh, work there and uh, give her comfort this morning. Continue to pray for baby Natalie Johnson. Thank you that she's doing a little better eating. We pray that that would continue to improve. And pray for Brad and Jessica for, for endurance and strength. And uh, God, that as the doctors have said, the next few days, maybe she could come home. Uh, Lord, we pray that would, would be possible and uh, be able to happen for that family. Lord, we pray for Virginia Holder. We lift up Kathy Rickert, who's uh, recovering from eye surgery uh, this past week. Lord, we want to pray for the family of Jimmy Partain. Uh, continue to pray for them. Lord, we pray for uh, also for the family of Joan Doyle. We pray for um, this family, Lord, Susan Ellington's mother who passed away yesterday. Pray for comfort. Thank you for, uh, as it's been described to me, God, just the peaceful home going for Miss Doyle and uh, presence of family and just your spirit's presence in that moment as she entered Jesus' presence. Father, thank you that we can lift these needs up to you. Thank you, Lord, that we can freely come and worship. And Lord, we pray that right now you cause us to be still and know that you are God. That as we come, Lord, we would come in a twofold way. Lord, we come with this hour not being about us. That is not about our preferences, not about what we like or want, not for our entertainment but for the worship of the only one true and living God, for the exaltation of his great name, to see him as he is and to lift him up for all that he's done for us in Christ. And at the very same time, God, to drink, to cause our souls to drink deeply and find our only and full satisfaction in Christ. Lord, may we be satisfied in him. And in that process, God, may you be glorified, even in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we sing. On the way in this morning, I heard that song. I could sing of uh, the Lord. How does that go, Joe? I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. There you go. At 50, the brain just starts. There's these slick spots. You just hit them. But I could sing of your love forever. Is that true of you? That's what we're here to do this morning. We're singing of the love of God given to us in Christ. May, may we sing out loud and, and as loud 
as if we really mean that. Amen? Amen. Let's worship him. I remember that as I approach 50, Chad. <laughs> Let's sing together.
playmaker this has plenty of chances for everybody to really sing out That is 
Father, truly you are our awesome God. You are high and lifted up. You are holy. There is no one like you. Thank you for the privilege to sing about who you are, to be reminded of your power of your holiness, of your mercy and your grace given to us in Jesus. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning as we sang that even when we don't see or feel you at work, Jesus said that the Father is always working, even right up to this moment. I thank you that it doesn't depend on what we feel. It doesn't matter what we see, what we know. We're so limited and blinded even by our own selfishness sometimes. Father, thank you that you never stop working. And that you are working and moving in this place right now. Even as we've gathered
in the name of your son Jesus, you are here. May we not, as the old hymn says, ever judge you by feeble sense. We do it all the time, but may we quit it. And may we know that you are at work. May we look for how you're working and join you there. May we believe you when we see nothing. May we know you can only be faithful God. Father, thank you that none of your purposes will ever be thwarted. Thank you, Lord, that you rule. Lord Jesus, you rule over all things from the right hand of the Father, even right now. So we come to you as your people, and we pray that you would work in our hearts as we open your word together. Continue what you've begun in this hour in our hearts. Change us. Mold us more into the image of Christ that in our lives, and our stewardship of it, you would be more glorified, for you are worthy. You're worthy of all that we are. And Father, if there's any here who don't know you today, we pray that they would be drawn to Christ in all of his beauty and glory. Turning from sin and turning to Jesus as their everlasting hope and their certain Savior. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church. As they're making their way out, I'd invite you to, first of all, turn with me in your Bible to Romans 12. Get your uh, fingers kind of loosened up. Just do a little little uh, finger calisthenics there. Get them loose because we're going to be all over the place this morning. But um, we'll start in, in, in well, well, we'll get to Romans 12 and camp out there for just a second before we dive in. It was John Wesley who said, The possessor of heaven and earth brought you into being and placed you in this world not as an owner, but as a steward. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says of himself and the other apostles, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. What was true of Paul, albeit he was an apostle, the same is true of us. We are entrusted with the mysteries of God, the gospel in Christ. And of those of us who are stewards, it is required that we be found faithful. That's why we've been talking now for, this will be our ninth week, about stewarding our lives Stewarding our lives for the glory of King Jesus. Ron Blue says of stewardship, Stewardship is the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Wesley said, we're not owners, we're stewards. Who's the owner of all things? God. And so whatever God, the owner of all things, has given to us, Ron Blue says we're to take and steward that. We're to use our God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given 
goals. Today I want us to think once again, biblically, about how to steward our time. Lloyd Corey says of time, time is significant because it's so rare. It is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it or relive it. And that truth about the fleeting nature of time, the limited nature of time, is why Moses in Psalm 90 verse 12 would say and pray, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. From the New Living Translation, teach us to realize the brevity of life, just how short time is, so that we may grow in wisdom. St. Austin said of that verse, Psalm 90, verse 12, he said, We can never do that. We can never rightly number our days except we number every day as our last day. So today, we're going to think again about stewarding our time for the glory of King Jesus. The truth I want you to take home this, this afternoon is this. To daily spend our time for the glory of God is the only logical response to the mercies of God in Jesus. If you've known the mercies of God, to spend all of your time, to spend your life, to daily spend your time, whatever, whatever it's being occupied with, to spend it for the glory of God is the only logical response to the mercies of God. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul said, now that you've seen the mercy of God in Jesus, I want you to spend the rest of your lives as living sacrifices. And our lives are made of time, right? I want you to spend the rest of your time on the planet as living sacrifices, showing through the use of your time the glory of God in Christ. To daily spend our time for the glory of God is the only logical response to the mercies of God. We're going to look very specifically this morning at what God's Word says about how we should steward our time in several key areas of our lives. First of all, we are to be living sacrifices in our family. Amen? Oh, you're not sure about that. We're to be living sacrifices in our families. What does it mean to live as living sacrifices? In view of God's mercies, Paul says, I appeal to you, present yourselves as living, your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think and live differently and show the world that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect how you live. Uh, one place that we're instructed clearly about this is to be living sacrifices in our family. You see, God instituted marriage before the fall. Weaving marriage into the very fabric of humanity as a picture of Christ and the church yet to come. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a, a helper fit for him. 
down in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were not ashamed, and they had an intimacy in that first marriage, if you will, because this was before the fall, and God instituted this relationship even before the fall. We spend a lot of time with our spouses, don't we? And how we spend our time is important and part of our worship response to God's grace in Jesus. We are to be living sacrifices in our family, specifically in our marriage. Ephesians 5, verses 22 and 23 is really, if you will, Paul's commentary on Genesis 2, right? We know that because he quotes Genesis 2 here. In, in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, not only does Paul kind of give a commentary on Genesis 2, he also says to us, this is how you're to practically live at home in response to the gospel. If you look at the book of Ephesians, it's kind of like Romans. Remember how we've been talking about, how many times have I told you uh, about the, the great turning point in Romans? How many chapters did Paul take to unfold the mercies of God? Eleven, because in twelve he stands on, on, on that point and says, now by these mercies of God I appeal to you, and from twelve to sixteen it's all practical. Here's how you live in light of the gospel. He does the same kind of thing in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, pretty much he unfolds the gospel. And then beginning in chapter 4 through 6, he says, now here's how to live in light of the gospel. We'll see in a few minutes, Colossians, the same thing. First two to three chapters, he unfolds the gospel. And then he turns and says, now here's how to live in light of the gospel. It's a thing. The Christian life is never meant to be lived apart from the gospel. Amen. It's always meant to be lived in response to the gospel. It's never anything to earn anything before God. It's never a deal to earn anything before God. It's always a response of worship to God. And here in this passage, we see Paul telling us what that looks like at home in our marriages. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, of his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall, quoting Genesis 2, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. Paul says this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So back and forth between 
our marriages and Christ in the church, Paul kind of toggles back and forth. Because remember what I said earlier, because God has built into the very fabric of humanity this thing called marriage that is a picture of Christ and the church. If we're married, our marriages are the key relationship in our lives where we have the privileged responsibility of illustrating Jesus' love for the church and our love as the church for Jesus. That's powerful. That ought to affect us in our marriages. Amen? We are a living illustration of Jesus and his people. I'm not going to unpack all the details of the wives and husbands' responsibility, but let me just say this. What a privilege it is to embody the relationship in our marriage of the relationship between Christ and the church. Here's the bottom line. The text is clear. Wives, you're supposed to relate to your husband as we relate to Jesus. But husbands, don't even start to get cocky at that point because Paul says you're responsible to love your wife the way Jesus loved you. And I'm pretty sure ain't none of us there. What a challenge. What a privilege. What a joy. We're to be living sacrifices in our marriages. This is how we're to use our time. You spend a lot of time with your spouse. And let me just say, I'm thankful to God to know many of you pretty well. And I can, I can just tell you, in our church family, there are many. And I'm just looking around the room and trying not to let my eyes land anywhere so nobody thinks I'm actually looking at them because I'm never looking at any of y'all. I'm just kind of floating around. But the reality is I know some of you and I know what you, how you love one another at home. And it's a beautiful thing. There's some situations that where, where just, just the mercy and the grace and the patience, uh, just caring for one another and serving one another, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you for your example to us. And thank you for your witness, your testimony to the goodness and love and mercy and grace of God in Christ. Now let me just stop right here and say this. If you're single here today, we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about parenting, but, but before we get into the parenting part, I just want to talk about this. If you're single here today, let me encourage you that God can powerfully use you. Amen? You may eventually marry. You may not. But whether or not you're married does not limit your usefulness in the hand of God to reach the world for Christ. Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, makes this real clear. Paul was single. And in fact, Paul prayed and, and or said he wished that all were like he was because he could spend all of his energy and time focusing on serving the Lord without the responsibilities of a family. Now, the responsibilities, husbands, we have with our wives is a God-given, God-ordained responsibility. We just said that, right? But Paul says the single man doesn't have the responsibilities of a wife, and so he can just give that much more time and energy to the things of God. Paul said, I wish everybody was like me. Because, remember, about this thing about time, time is what? Long or short? Till Jesus comes. It's short. We ain't got much. We're all going to die soon. Even if that's 50 years from now, that's no time. Believe me. Ask me how I know I just turned 50. It flies. 
And Paul, as well as many singles I know, even in this body today, poured his life into so many other people. Leaving behind, he would call them his children. Leaving behind a group of Jesus followers who impacted the world for Jesus. And so, singles, I don't want you to hear us saying that you've got to be married to be able to illustrate Christ to this world or show Jesus to the world. That's not the case at all. And thank you for how you serve and love and even spiritually parent children in this world. Now, another way in our families that we're to live as living sacrifices is as parents. How we live as parents is part of our worship to God who saved us. In Ephesians 6, verse 4, Paul says, Fathers, again, this is a response to the gospel. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Leading our children to Jesus and teaching them how to follow Him. Another way to say that is discipling our children is to be the number one priority for Christian parents. You say, well, I thought, I thought, preacher, I thought y'all were supposed to disciple my kids. Nope. We're supposed to help you as a church. Amen? You, sir, you, ma'am, as a Christian parent, if you know Jesus today and you have kids, you are God's appointed disciple maker in your home. They are your responsibility. And what a privilege and joy it is. Paul says, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't be heavy-handed such that they, they, they shrink and, 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 and bitterness wells up within them because you're, you're, so, you're so hard, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline, yes, but the instruction of the Lord, positive teaching. Specifically, gospel teaching, Amen. Parents, what are we aiming for in our parenting? Is this it? That we would bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And again, I'm not talking about bringing them to church. Are you tracking? I'm talking about how you spend your time at the house with your kids, quite apart from the local church. Just you doing the thing God's called you to do as a parent. What are we aiming for? Do we spend more time and energy on leading our children to Jesus and showing them how to practically follow Him right where they are in school, at whatever stage of life they're in? Or do we spend more time making sure they're successful in school and sports? Hello or oh me, amen or oh me. Are we more concerned with how faithfully our children end up following Jesus as adults? Is that what we're aiming for? Or are we more concerned about how successful they'll be in their career? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Now, do you believe that for you? And then the question is, second question, do you believe it for your kids? Nowhere in Scripture are you told, hey, you make sure your children grow up 
and have a, you know, just do every, get everything lined up in their lives so that they can be very successful financially. If you find that, let me know. It's not there. But to bring them up in the, in the nurture and admonition, to the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, to teach them the ways of God, Deuteronomy 6, 6, when you're sitting down, when you lie down, when you get up, when you're walking in the way, just all of life, discipling them in Christ, to follow and obey Him, to love Him above all things. I can take you there. God says those things. We're to be living sacrifices in our family. We are to daily spend our time in our families, in our marriages, as parents, for the glory of God in response to the gospel. Secondly, not only are we to be living sacrifices in our family, uh, we're to be living sacrifices at work. That's something we don't talk a lot about, is it? Our jobs. Again, interestingly, God ordained work before the fall. So work is not just a necessary evil. In fact, it's not evil at all. It is good. Put into the fabric of humanity before the fall. Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. This, by the way, is a few verses before he made woman and instituted marriage. He'd already created work. It's, a, it's, a, it's, again, part of who we are as human beings. Now, we know Genesis 3. After the fall, work got harder, right? No longer was, in Adam's case, working the ground and, and basically producing food th- from the ground. No longer was it easy. There were thorns and things were more complicated and it was just... It was, It's a fallen world. We now work in a world that's under the curse, and therefore there's, you know, hey, we're sinners. (laughs) There's this selfishness thing we've got going on inside, and we work with a bunch of them, right? So, I mean, all of a sudden work's a lot more complicated than it was before the fall, but work is good. Our time at work, even in a fallen world, is in, in, in some ways even more so, still hugely important and critical in the life of a faithful Christ follower. Paul addresses our work as part of our response to the gospel in his letter to the Colossian church. Colossians 3, verse 22. Again, he's already been unfolding the gospel. Now he says, here's how to live. And he said, it's important how you live in your workplace. Now, in that day, it was, there, was, there was mostly... Uh, slave and, 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 and servant relationships, at least in, 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 in the, in, you know, like on a plantation type of, like a farm, a whatever home there. Listen to what he says in Colossians 3, 22. Bond servants, think employees. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there is no partiality 
And then chapter 4, verse 1 says, Masters, employers, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, if we were to really study the culture of the day and so forth, we would, we would quickly realize this is not a, a one-for-one exact uh, correspondence to today's economy, uh, bond servants and masters to employers, employees, but there's a principle here, and it works, and it's important, and it's good. It's not taking it out of context or messing it up. It, it's just there's, there's, a, there's a different meaning, a little bit different setting here, but the principle still applies. Whether you're an employer or an employee, Paul says, work sincerely and heartily for the glory of Jesus. Working even as an employer as unto your master, your boss in heaven, even the Lord Jesus himself. You know, as Jesus followers, as Christians, we should be the best employees and employers there are. We should do better work with better attitudes with a better work ethic than those who are not serving Jesus in their work and just collecting a check. We should never, as is so common in the world today, in the workforce today, we should never be able to be accused of doing as little as we can to earn as much as we can. I mean, is that not the work ethic of America today? As little as you can get by with, for as much as you can possibly negotiate out of the employer. And then if he ain't around, or she's not there, we do even less. Hello? We're just punching the clock. We're just, we're just collecting a check. We're, 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 our heart's not in our work. We don't care about our work. We just are there to get a check, and we go home. It's so often the case, and yet that should never be true of us. Because Paul says, built into the fabric of humanity is work. And part of the deal with work is because God ordained work, we're working as unto Him. We're not just working for the man or the woman. We're working for Christ. We're serving Him. And in the workplace, the relationships we have, let me tell you what's far more important than the job we do. It's how we do the job. It's how we relate to the people we're doing the job for, our employer and vice versa, our employees. It's about relationships and people. It's about us in those relationships on the job showing people Jesus. That's priority one. But the way we do that is to be the best teachers we can be, to be the best attorneys we can be, to be the best CPAs we can be. To be, to be the best land graders we can be. To be the best bankers we can be. To do all we do heartily and sincerely for the glory of God. We're to be living sacrifices at work. Let me just say it without any, just as clear as I know how to say it. Your job is important to God. Your job, whatever it is is part of how God wants to use you in this world. Now, some of you have work, tough work situations. You're like, well, I'm glad you finally got around to that because, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about mine, and I'm, I'm struggling. Well, here's the thing. We live in a great nation where you have the freedom to change jobs. Maybe God, you pray about that. Maybe God will lead you to a different job. But in the meantime, 
you just be faithful. Amen. You keep working the best, being as humble and, and as sincere and heartily with all your heart, putting, putting, caring about what you're doing, thinking about being a witness to this person for whom you work that's causing your life to be difficult right now. Keep at it. It's not in vain. It's not in vain. It's for the glory of Christ. We're to be living sacrifices at work. Today we spend our time for the glory of God is the only logical response to the mercies of God and Jesus. Thirdly, we're to be living sacrifices in our rest and leisure. How many of you saw that one coming? Really? Chad, are you serious? We're to be living sacrifices in our rest and leisure. Like, I don't see how that all goes together. Because, I mean, living sacrifices, I mean, I'm, I'm dying to myself every day. That sounds uh, like that's not easy. How is it that I am to serve Jesus in my rest and leisure. Well, again, in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, God ordained rest before the fall. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, this is before the fall, but we're not even talking about man who would have been the one affected by the fall. We're talking about God who was unaffected by the fall, and we're talking about God. Was God tired after six days of creating the earth? Hello? Did God need to rest like we need to sleep? No. In fact, God never sleeps, it says in another place. Now, here it says God rested. What's going on? Well, God rested on the seventh day in order to establish a pattern for living for us who are made in His image and so that we could be restored physically through rest and so that ultimately we would find our soul's rest in Him. In Ecclesi- in, I have no idea why Ecclesiastes just came out of my mouth. In Exodus, two very different books, 23 verse 12, we're commanded, that the, the Jews were commanded, the Israelites were commanded, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work. Remember, just like God did. So that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. It's a command. Like it's one of the big commands. Observe Sabbath, a day of rest. Psalm 127, verse 2. In the context, just before this, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds a house, its laborers labor in vain. Verse 2 says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep, for, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, does this mean you shouldn't, I'm thinking of one of you, get up at 4 o'clock, be at the office at 6, work till 4 or 5, and, you know, not get home till 6 in the evening? Does that mean you shouldn't work long days? Is that what this is about? No, the key phrase is eating the bread of anxious toil. If you think that unless you absolutely kill yourself at work, you'll never make it, then you probably got a problem. There's times and seasons in all of our lives where our work demands more. Time is, more time is required, more effort's required, less sleep is possible. And yet, I want you to see here, 
God is telling us he gives sleep to his beloved. Work hard, absolutely. But you're not God. And so go to sleep and let God be God. And know that tomorrow when you wake up, he'll still be God. And you'll be rested to go back to work and work hard. He gives sleep to his beloved. Isn't that a a relief? We physically need sleep. Our bodies require sleep. But part of the reason we need sleep, I'm convinced, is that we need to sleep to be reminded that our God and Father never sleeps, and He's the one, not us, who keep the world going round. And He's the one that takes whatever it is we do as we work hard all day long at it and makes it effective anyway. Amen? He gives us the strength to do it. He's the one that makes it effective. He's the one that causes all that effort to to, to result in an income that provides for us. In Mark 6, verse 31, Jesus was even for rest. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, that being those these people being his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Can I tell you something? Listen, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. You need a nap. (laughs) It's kind of funny, isn't it? Parenting. Kids are little. How many times have we said to our little ones, huh, yep, you need a nap. There's a lot in that phrase. Your attitude stinks. If you don't get a nap, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> if you don't get a nap, you're going to get in big trouble. I mean, it's just this, this thing's going south. Everything is going wrong. You need a nap. But it's also a loving thing because here's the deal. This, this, this child, they're, they're, they're emotionally coming apart. Because there's no separating their emotions and how they deal with things and their physical exhaustion. And they're there. You need a nap. Every now and then the Holy Spirit may whisper to you, you need a nap. Big boy. Honey, you just need to lay down and take a nap. We need to daily rest our souls in Jesus. In addition to rest in our bodies, we need to rest our souls in Jesus. I love Hebrews 4, verses 9 and 10. We need physical rest, but we need spiritual rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever's entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's another reference back to Genesis 2. God built into the very fabric of humanity this thing called Sabbath to point us to an eternal rest. Jesus is our eternal Sabbath rest. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, our souls find eternal rest and peace in Him. So we are to be living sacrifices in our rest. What about our leisure? How we spend our leisure time is not insignificant. Chad, you're saying, like, when I'm off and when I'm just doing what I, you know, whatever I want to do, taking a break... God cares about that time? Absolutely. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 
or whatever you do, do all, do all to the glory of God. That doesn't need a commentary. It's plain, isn't it? Paul means what he says there. For the follower of Jesus, even our downtime, our fun time, our recreation time should bring glory to Jesus. Does that mean you can't have fun? It means you can't have rec- do recreation? No, it, it, it doesn't mean that at all. It, it just means that how we recreate, how we, how we have fun, how we relax, how we spend our leisure time is not, is not somehow excused from bringing glory to God. Can I just say this? If you don't watch yourself as a believer, you, you'll, you'll just think that downtime is when you just, you know, I mean, hey, following Jesus is hard, amen? I mean, we've just been talking about family and work, and I mean, great day. It's just a lot. It's a lot. And if you don't watch yourself, what you'll think is, ask me how I know, I'm off today. <laughs> and all this stuff Jesus has got for me, I'm, I'm off. But the problem is, is he still owns this time. He, I'm still one blood-bought. I'm, 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 I've been purchased at the cost of his own son, and even this time is for his glory. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be fun. I, I just I thought of this this morning. I, can't, I, I couldn't help but share this with you. You remember, you remember the classic movie Chariots of Fire? It's based on the 1924 Olympics and two prominent runners, Eric Little and Harold Abrams. Both were gifted and successful athletes who carried the hopes of their respective nations on their backs when they raced. Eric Little was a devout Christian who represented Scotland. He was a missionary. And some believed he should have given up the sport of running to preach. But Little believed that God had called him to race and to race for the glory of God. In the movie, you see a clear contrast between Little and Abram's. They both run, but they run for very different reasons. In one scene, Abram says, And now in one hour's time, this is just right before the race, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds. Listen, with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. To justify my whole existence. But will I? Man, that's a terrible place to live, isn't it? In less than an hour, I'm going to be running a race. And in 10 seconds, I will either justify my existence as a human being or I won't. Is it possible we put that kind of expectation on our student-athletes. Did you just say that in church, Chad? I sure did. In a different scene, Little says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. Wow! Because see, running to Him didn't justify His existence. It was a chance to show off that God had made him fast and all the glory went to God because God had saved him by grace through Christ. Y'all knew this was coming. 
April 2nd, my boy slipped out, April 2nd, anybody know what April 2nd is? My wife knows and my buddy knows it is the opening of turkey season, 2022. And yes, early that morning I will yelp on a mouth call to the glory of Jesus and I will feel God's pleasure in the turkey woods. Now, could running Eric Little's recreation become an idol? Sure. Can turkey hunting, much as it pains me to say it, could turkey hunting become an idol? Yes. Yes. But can we do leisure to the glory of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. How we view and spend our leisure time is important to God. Do we see our, in our fun, our recreation as justifying our whole existence, or do we enjoy our leisure as unto God that we may feel His pleasure? I mean, here's the thing. Absolutely take a day off. We've already talked about rest. Have fun. Don't live for fun. But when you're having fun, enjoy it to the glory of God. We're to be living sacrifices in our rest and leisure. To daily spend our time for the glory of God is the only logical response to the mercies of God in Jesus. Finally, we are to be living sacrifices in witness. In witness. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6 is the passage I want us to look at briefly here. We're to be living sacrifices in our families, at work, in rest and leisure, and finally in witness. Colossians 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Some of your translations say redeeming the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Sometimes we pull that redeeming the time phrase out. We talk about making the most of our time, but understand it's said in the context of witness. That, that, that command to redeem our time, making the best use of our time, that exhortation is in the context of our witness to outsiders, walking wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, the time you have with them, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. So an application of those two verses, do we think and pray hard and often about our unbelieving friends, our coworkers and family members, and how we might engage them in a gospel conversation? Do you think ahead to the next time you'll be with that person, that neighbor, do you think ahead and, 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 and then when you're in the moment and they start talking and sharing their life with you and you're just having a general conversation, are you alert? Are you walking in wisdom in that moment? Or are you just kind of letting the, the moments pass by? Or, or rather, are you engaged in walking in wisdom, making the most of those moments you have with that outsider, that one who does not know Jesus as their Savior? Letting your speech always be full of grace, and I just believe that means having the gospel in it when you can, Amen. Grace and gentleness, of course, but, 
but the gospel itself, seasoned with salt, the truth of the gospel, so that you may know how to answer. Do you see what it said? Each one. How I answer this person is going to be different how, than how I answer this person. Because what I'm doing is watching the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. He's showing me, giving me eyes to see and, and wisdom to understand what this person needs and how I need to speak grace into this person's life. Are we focused on outsiders, those who don't know Jesus, like this? You know, that's why we're doing a seven for seven prayer emphasis. We'll talk more about it at the end of the service. But started last week. Last Sunday was seven weeks from Easter. I just gave you a little piece of paper. You can pick one out on the way, up on the way out, the round, tall boy table out there. Make a list of seven people, pray for them for seven weeks, and invite them to Good Friday and Easter service. Just something simple to help you practice doing this right here. Walking with wisdom toward outsiders. Being ready to share a witness with them. We're called to use our time wisely in speaking the gospel to those who are not yet part of the family of God. We are to be living sacrifices and witness. Finally, 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 is a great encouragement in this where Peter says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter said every day you're to be living your life and relating to others with Christ the Lord, honoring, him, honoring Christ as Lord and as holy in your hearts. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. So here's the question. Are you always ready to explain the hope that you have in Jesus, even as you're daily honoring Christ as the master of your heart and life? You know, if we're really honoring Him as our master, then, then we're going to be living with hope. We're going to be remembering what He's done for us. We're going to be thinking about that, that eternal hope. We're, be, we're going to be thinking about the fact that heaven is soon. Eternity is, life is short and eternity is close. We're going to be thinking about that. And we're going to have this hope in us that we have hope beyond this life. Like it's not just about today. Man, we're going home. And we're going to have hope. Now, in the context of 1 Peter, by the way, he gives that little exhortation about witnessing in the middle of a, of, of a passage where he says, Hey, if you suffer for doing good because they were fixing to, rejoice. And in the middle of suffering for doing good, do this. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart always and always be ready to give uh, an answer for the hope that's in you. In other words, even in suffering, show them you've got a hope that, that, that helps you weather that suffering, helps you endure that suffering. And when they say, how can you be happy, how can you be full of joy when, 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 we're, you know, when, when those all around you are, are, are just tormenting you, opposing you, you can say, let me tell you how. Because this is not going to last but a minute, even if it lasts the next 20 years. It's not going to last but a minute because I'm going home. I have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ, and you can too. 
And the reason I can have an eternal hope in Jesus is because God so loved the world that he gave his own son to come, live a perfect life in my place, go to the cross, die the death I deserve for all my many sins. He was buried, but the third day he rose again. He lives, and he lives in me by his spirit. And one day he's coming back to take me home. Are we gentle and respectful in sharing Jesus, even with those who give you a hard time because you love Jesus? Let me let you know a secret about that. Sometimes they're the last ones we witness to, the ones that aggravate us about our faith. They might should be the first ones because sometimes their aggravation and opposition, their, their mouthiness against our faith is a sign that the Spirit of the living God is working on them. They're, they're under conviction that God's beginning to change their hearts. Don't run from that. Lean into that. Get close to that. Be gentle. Be respectful. But along with everybody else, make sure you tell them about Jesus. They may just be crying out for him. We're to be living sacrifices in witness. So how do we steward our time, our daily time, for the glory of King Jesus? Be living sacrifices in your family. Be living sacrifices at work. Be living sacrifices in your rest and leisure and be living sacrifices in witness. Spend daily our time for the glory of God. It's the only logical response to the mercies of God in Jesus. How are you doing? Are you wasting precious time in any of these areas? Are you just burning daylight in any of these areas? Or are you intentional about the use of your minutes and days and weeks and months? And all these different ways that God's commanded us to steward our time. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, how we praise you for your grace to us. And we do want to live our lives in response. Lord, we want to use our time in a way that honors you. Thank you for how your word's so practical, so clear, and so specific. I pray for us as your people that you'd help us to work these things out in our families, in our workplaces, and how we rest and take our leisure, and Lord, in relationships with outsiders who need to hear about Jesus, and we very well may be the only gospel witness in their lives. Oh, Lord, show us how to apply all that we've seen today out of gratitude to you for your grace and for the glory of your awesome and merciful name. Speak to us now, even as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship through song. This altar's open for you to respond however you need to. Maybe something, God's spoken to you about something this morning and, and you just need to come, come to the altar and pray about that area of your life. Maybe there's someone that uh, you need to share Christ with this week. You've, they've been on your heart and you've resisted that. Uh, maybe you come and pray for them this morning.
Maybe you need to come to meet Jesus for the first time today. I'll be right here on the front row. I'd love to, I'd love to introduce you to Christ. Whatever you need as we sing. Oh,
Are you longing for that day? Amen and amen. You may be seated for just a moment. What I hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few quick announcements this, this, this afternoon before we leave. First of all, cry out to Jesus' prayer service tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, join us as we cry out to Jesus for uh, the loss that we know, for our church family, for the sick and grieving. Um, look forward to that time of prayer at 6 p.m. Also, Wednesday evening, Youth and Children's Ministries, uh, this Wednesday, 6.30. Uh, pizza begins at 6. Also on Wednesday evening, we'll have a, our, our, our annual, our monthly leadership meeting, Wednesday evening, 7.45. Uh, deacons, be ready for that on Wednesday. Also, D-Now weekend is coming up quickly, March the 17th through the 20th. Payment is due today if you've not already uh, made payment. If your student needs a scholarship, please see me. We'll handle that discreetly. Also, if you uh, would be willing to provide a scholarship, then please see me. Uh, and we'll, we'll be glad to uh, uh, just appreciate your ministry in that way and be glad to make that connection with students that are in need of that as well. On Sunday, March the 20th, the, the Sunday of D-Now weekend, we'll be having dinner on the grounds to benefit, to benefit summer youth camp. Uh, and so plan to stay on the 20th and, and uh, donate to the, to the youth summer camp, what you would be spending at a local restaurant. There'll be a meal provided here, and we look forward to that time of fellowship. And then we're going to eat at the end of March. On March 27th, um, well, we don't get to eat this part here I don't think. Um, we're going to have our, the children's ministry is going to have their cake auction. So if you would like to provide a cake for the cake auction, see Meredith or Leslie. Um, and then come on the 27th ready to bid on some amazing homemade cakes and so forth to benefit children's summer youth camp upcoming. Again, I mentioned this earlier, you can pick up a sheet that looks a lot like this uh, on the way out. On the left as you're going out on that little round table, 7 for 7 prayer list. We're now six weeks away from Easter. And uh, it tells you here also when, when in our Good Friday service is, what time that is, and also what time our Easter service is. Good Friday service, April 15th, 6 p.m. here in this room. And Easter, Easter service is April 17th at 11 a.m. here. Pray for those folks and then invite them to join you that day. Two more. There's a free book on your way out. Um, it's a book called Rich Wounds. This is about the sufferings and, and sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection. It's a great book. Uh, we, I ordered about 25 copies, so there's, there's about, that, about 20, I think, out there still. Uh, one per family, please. These are just gifts from the church. Take that, use it devotionally between now and Good Friday and Easter. Uh, if you would, if you would like to do that, if that's something you do, pick one up. Uh, if we need, if we need more, I'll try to get more. Um, but please take that and use that devotionally in your homes. Also, Sunday school nursery. We have a need for a teacher for the Sunday school nursery. Not every Sunday morning do we have babies in the nursery during the Sunday school hour, but we do need to have someone ready for that. So if you'll see Travis Green, if you'd be willing to serve um, as needed there in the Sunday school nursery. See Travis Green, our Sunday school director, to help out with that. Are there any announcements that I've forgotten? If not, let's stand together, 
Sarandi, would you dismiss us in prayer, please, sir?